Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things Primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder, Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Damage Control, Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, anti-aging supplement. Available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And now, introducing your host, L. Russ. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. Today we have Jeff Scott Phillips. He's a nutritionist, a professional speaker, and the author of Big Fat Food Fraud, uh, which is a really revealing book we're going to discuss today. In his early 20s, he founded the company Fit Food, a food delivery company that sold healthy meals to gyms and weight loss centers and grocery stores. And then he co-founded a food manufacturing business, producing and private labeling meals for other companies and brands. And that's where the Big Fat Food Fraud comes in. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is a frighteningly revealing book, right? Because, um, gosh, it really incites the frustration of all of the loopholes and bureaucratic nightmares behind how consumers are tricked on a regular basis and really how unsafe a lot of this labeling and trickery is. So before we get into all the details behind, I mean, extortion, bribery, everything involved with FDA, USDA, and all the tricks played on us as consumers, I'd love you to give everyone sort of the chain of events that led up to where you actually were able to really get involved in that. So you started off as just like a health fitness trainer, correct? And can you just kind of move us on from there? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, the short version for the most part, yeah, I was a personal trainer and went through what I think a lot of people, uh, personal trainers go through, just my clients weren't listening or weren't able to maybe do eat the way I was telling them to. Um, I was also I got certified as a nutritionist thinking that might help uh, them take me more seriously. Of course, it didn't. uh, For the most part, it's tough for people. So anyway, uh, I wasn't trying to be in the food industry ever. I just wanted to solve my client's problems. So at first it started very organically. I just, I took my top clients. I I said, Hey, you know what? I'm preparing all my food for the week. This is what I do. Give me your money. I'm going to do your grocery shopping and bring you the food back and you'll have everything. Uh, it worked insanely well. Like everyone loved it and they told people and then more, you know, customers started coming on. And so eventually I was like, you know, this is a, it's probably actually a business idea here. So I came up with a name. Fit food was the name at the time. And I was, you know, I was very small, obviously, at the beginning. I started out of my condo kitchen cooking, but it grew and grew and grew. We started to get customers out of state um, and eventually got to the point where we had so many people coming on. I took on um, investors and we actually created a, like you mentioned, a manufacturing company where we were private. We were producing the food for other companies. A lot of them are popular brands. Uh, we were private labeling for them. So people didn't even know who we were. We were probably even for brands that you see some of in the grocery store or um, not. A lot of them were kind of like um, either lean cuisine type of brands or Nutrisystem, the ones that we just shipped right to your door. We would drop ship for people. And um, yeah, and then that's when once we were at that level, that's when a lot of the corruption started creeping in and, and the shadiness. And that's when it got bad. Yeah, <laughs> let's let's talk about that shadiness. I think one of the first good examples here might be 
the salmon example. Let's start off with that. Just because salmon is such a healthy, wonderful thing. We all here at Primal Blueprint, Paleo Primal World, love wild salmon, right? And I know you agree with this. So what you're about to tell me is horrific. And I know what it is because I already read it in your book. So, but, but tell everyone that little scenario. Sure. The salmon story, that's one of the most famous ones. I mean, that was when I first probably realized just how just horrific the industry is and what it does to us. So, um, I think we'd been working with the USDA at this point for six, maybe eight months or so for a decent amount of time. And by the way, because I just don't think most people know this, unlike the health department, the USDA checks everything you do in backlogs. They don't actually really monitor what you're doing on a uh, day-to-day basis. You document everything. And then they have their own little, they have to have an office in everyone's uh, manufacturing plant. And then they read those logs. So, so you can put anything you want on those logs. That's another open area for some BS to happen. Exactly. And which a lot of companies do. A lot of companies keep two sets of logs, what actually happened, and then what you want the FDA or the USDA to see what happened. And so because it works that way, a lot of time went by. We were selling salmon, like you said, one of the best foods a person can eat. And they came up to us. We were making, uh, it was like I mentioned, it was like a, a lean cuisine kind of a like a frozen dinner kind of a meal, but healthy, you know, it's just, it's salmon. It's grilled, it was grilled salmon. And the onsite agent came up one day and said, you know, you, you can't sell this anymore. This isn't a healthy, lean, low fat food. Um, and if you check the, the codes for these things, the regulations, you know, it's based on ratios, which is what he told, you know, cause I pitched a fit. I was like, what are you talking about? It's not, is salmon's the best thing someone could eat almost, you know? And he said, yeah, I don't know. We don't care. He's like, the rule is if the fat, the the ratio of fat grams to total grams of food in a container, in a package of food exceeds this amount, then it's not a healthy food. It's not a low fat. You can't say any of those things. You can't sell it. So he basically gave me an ultimatum. He's like, you can either stop selling salmon or you can put something, some kind of sugar in the food like a pasta or bread, which by the way, when was the last time you saw any kind of a frozen dinner that didn't have those things in them? Right. And that was revealing because you guys mentioned, or you mentioned in your book, you know, that he mentioned to you like, Hey, have you ever seen a lean cuisine meal with a piece of salmon and not also with these other things? And I was like, huh, you know, I guess as I've perused the freezer section, they're right. I haven't, there is always a pasta or something with it. Right. And so this is part of the, well, the other part is that it, you know, carbs have great margins, right? So that's Italian places like make the best money because like all the pasta and the bread like that. But the other reason, I mean, we didn't have a choice. The other part is you have to even out those ratios. He said, so, if, but and by the way, what that did, and when you add sugar to a food like salmon, which has a lot of natural, obviously good, healthy fat, um, all the sugar does is up the total grams of food in the package without affecting the fat. The fat stays the same. The total goes up and that evens out the ratio. So now it's a healthy food again. And that, that is why it happens. And that's just one of many horrible uh, of the horrible examples that it is working with the USDA and of course in the FDA. Right. Cause you mentioned that you were basically, you know, you're basically taught and encouraged to lie on your food labels. Yeah. in a lot of instances, it's funny do you, and let me give you some examples in a minute too. Um, I tell people, I mean, working with the USDA and the FDA is, is kind of like, it's like having a threesome, honestly. It's like 
Nobody knows what goes. Nobody knows. <laughs> never, you never works out well in the morning. Yeah. The whole thing, yeah. I was like, nobody knows what goes where. Nobody knows who's supposed to do what. So you just try stuff until someone else stops, <laughs> right? Like it's that's probably giving a bad name to threesomes. So I don't mean to do that, but um, it is. But but likely the idea usually sounds better, and the execution kind of fails. And there, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. So here's the funny thing: the USDA and the FDA don't. They refuse to work together, like flat out refuse. You probably read that little back and forth. I did. That was get... crazy. You made like a hundred different phone calls. You're going from one to the other. They're like, they cover that. And they're like, well, they told me to call you. And I mean, it's just like a total cluster. Oh yeah. And we had, so it, plus the, the FTC and the CSPC and, and it, it's just, it's insane. And none of them coordinate or they won't even, they refuse to work together. So here's a fun example. If you have chicken, uh, that's regulated by the USDA. If that chicken lays an egg, that's regulated by the FDA. But if you unpeel the egg and try to use it to make an omelet or whatever, now it's back under the USDA, right? So, and then one covers seafood, right? And what? Or there's another distinction there too, right? Yeah, like the USDA only covers chicken, uh, you know, poultry, beef, and pork. Everything else, pr- uh, pretty much everything else, is covered by the FDA. So, if you want to make claims like um, gluten free or organic or whatever it might be that only applies to the food of the regulatory agency whose jurisdiction you're under so they didn't that the salmon here and so the craziest end to that salmon story is that we did this to the food right so we were basically forced our hand was guided to put sugar in this food that was otherwise healthy just to make the ratio different to appease their guidelines for ratios exactly so it now it can be called a healthy food. It can be sold and marketed as a healthy food. Even though you and I know now it's much more unhealthy that you added the pasta and the sugar. <laughs> right. Absolutely. I mean, it's an insane thing to say. So, but according to them, now it's healthier. And the crazy part is because we were under USDA jurisdiction, I literally couldn't get the FDA to look at anything. So when I, I said to the USDA agent, I said, but I, I understand now we've done this, but our cons- our consumers are going to flip out because they don't want to see that sugar. That's one of the first things people look for, and rightfully so. They won't eat it now. And he told me, uh, "Yeah, we don't care. Just don't put it on the label." And I was like, "What are you, what are you talking about? Don't list it on the nutrition facts?" He was like, "Yeah, that's that's under FDA jurisdiction. So, you know, we don't care what you list on your seafood or your vegetables or anything else. If it's not chicken or beef, you can say whatever. You could say he literally told me you could claim that you're we were making these protein peanut butter brownie things." He said, you could claim that those peanut butter things don't contain peanuts. We don't care. We don't regulate. Right. That was pretty shocking to hear that because you're like, okay, that's that's like five dead people right there. <laughs> right. Let's get into this. Let's get into the gluten-free stuff because, you know, I know, like this thing's a huge term. We know, like, first of all, a lot of gluten-free foods are not grain-free. Then a lot of them have corn syrups or there's corn glutens and other things in there that can affect people, often really unhealthy stuff. People think they're eating gluten-free and it's healthier, you know get into why it's a scam and with the labeling and how that works, because that's a real shady area. And I, and you guys mentioned, you know, places like pizza hut are like, Oh, we've got a gluten-free crust and all the excuses and things. If you can get into that a little bit, because I think that's really important to people listening. Obviously we're, we're anti-gluten and grains. I mean, on a regular basis. And, you know, a lot of people are, are wanting to go gluten-free, but are making these decisions and they're not actually the right decisions. Yeah. So, I mean, right off the gate, right off the gate, it, anytime people start eating more, cookies, crackers, chips, pizza, donuts, brownies, because they think it's healthy all of a sudden, there's absolutely a scam going on. So 
And by the way, and don't take my word for any of this stuff. You mentioned the pizza thing. Yeah, anyone can try this. I mean, we. I, I think Pizza Hut and Domino's, I shouldn't be naming names. I think most of the major uh, pizza places. Well, you name them in your, in your book. So. I, right. yeah. I did name them in the book. So the lawyer must have said it was fine. And because it's true. I'm not, you know, you can go to their website. You can get, you, so they offer this stuff. Um, they offer gluten for most of them, at least offer gluten for pizza. Feel free. Anyone can call them. And if you tell them that you have a deathly ill case of celiac disease, they'll do their best to talk you out of ordering that pizza. Like, I mean, you know, they're going to come up with something because we used to do this. Uh, they'll say something along the lines probably of uh, what well, we can't guarantee against cross contamination. So we, you know, we recommend you not get it. The reason. That right. The- so it's gluten free because but it's in a facility that might be with others. Therefore, we can't totally say. It's gluten-free. But how are they able to get away with saying it's gluten-free, though? Well, that's what's being said. Now, that there's no guarantee that the food is gluten-free to begin with. It's a marketing ploy that the food industry uses just to get people to, on the phone, to get them coming this direction. And if and, but the celiacs, they, don't, they can't leave it to chance. They're the ones that have to make double, triple sure that it is safe for them to eat. So we know, everyone in the food industry knows, when they do ask and they plead their case like that, that's when we just refuse them. We, we make up something that may or may not be true, whether the cross-contamination. Um, other than that, it's just a market. It may not even be gluten-free food. It's just a marketing ploy to get people in because we know it's it's not going to send most people to the hospital. Right, but if a food has gluten, let's say you're pr- producing a food that has gluten in it, like you know there's an element, even if it's a little skosh, like one you know thing of whatever, just a little skosh of it in there, how are you able to say it's gluten-free? Well, there's three at least two reasons. So one, no one's really checking us in real time to make sure that what we're saying is true. That's just right out the gate. That's how it is. Number two, um, the U from working with the USDA, if we're making a food, for example, our seafood, all of our seafood that we made, any kind of dish or meal or anything, the USDA doesn't regulate that. The FDA does who refuse to work with us. It's the same. If you were working, if the company's working with the FDA, then the USDA would refuse to check your poultry and beef. So it's the same thing. But anyway, we could claim whatever we wanted to about our seafood, and the USDA wouldn't care. They, it's not their jurisdiction. So you're free to. Claim. Well, and then whose jurisdiction is it? Well, it's the FDA's jurisdiction for seafood, for example. But they won't mess with you if you're already under your USDA jurisdiction. If the, if they, so basically, you get a get out of jail free card if you have a USDA inspector on. You're doing it that way, and then you're still selling seafood, which is not covered or inspected by USDA. But FDA then won't even come in and check it. So therefore, basically, you could be selling really shitty, crappy seafood, and nobody's checking it. Exactly, and I'm not saying any of this proudly, but yes, that's exactly right. I mean, we're pretty much left to our own devices when it comes to these little gray areas where neither of them knows who's covering what. Um, we can get away with almost anything. And a lot of the times they, the U S so just to give you an example of one that I, I remember happening, we had, um, we had some kind of dish that had, uh, I think it was either beef or chicken and seafood in it. And then neither agency knew who that, who was supposed to monitor that because the USDA is like, uh, but anything with seafood, we don't look at. And the FDA is like, anything with chicken or beef, whichever we don't look at. And no one, knew so no one regulated it no one cared so yeah we could get away with making whatever claims we want we some 
we could leave the nutrition labels blank completely, or we could just do our best guess and put the nutrition facts labels on there. No one cared. Yeah, talk about the sneaky, let's talk about some sneaky labeling and, and what we can see and go, ah, that's code word for MSG or that's right. There's a few of those in there. Can you break down a few of them for us that are tricky? Yeah, some of them are easier. Some of them are in, almost next to impossible. I mean, for starters, people just need to know nutrition label, food labels are like the pickup lines guys used to pick up women in a bar. They're, I mean, they're, they're manipulative, they're exaggerated, and the whole point is to screw you. So uh, keep that in mind. I, I, and I, by the way, and I have a kind of a solution for that that we can get to. But I mean, yeah, to give you a couple examples, you mentioned MSG. We don't even have to list MSG if it's in food. We can list things that MSG is in. There's a couple different reasons for this. One, there's there's a there's a loophole called discrete ingredients, where if you fall into certain categories, which we did, you can instead of listing the actual ingredients in food, you can sometimes list the food elements themselves. So, for example, if you see like of which they came from, you mean? Right. Give us a little bit more detail there. Yeah, yeah. So, like, um, if anytime you if you're looking at an ingredients list and you see something like sauce or juice, well. There are tons of ingredients that make up any sauce or any juice, but we don't have to necessarily list those. So for MSG, for example, we can list it as soy protein or whey protein on the ingredients list and when it, because it's in those things. But a lot of times it's, it, we're just masking MSG. Here's a scary one for you. And you mean, so they're putting like, so, so basically like they make a soy product, then they add MSG to it. All you have to do is claim that it's the soy is in there, not the MSG that's also in the soy product. Yeah. Well, it doesn't even have to be a soy product. I mean, it could be anything. And if we're putting MSG in as a preservative, um, we could just list soy protein as one of the ingredients into this thing that doesn't, you know, isn't a soy product. Hmm. That seems like kind of crazy. So how does that get by people? Like what? That seems just a flat outright fraud. Yeah, it's just one of the loopholes we're allowed to do. Um, another one, this is a scary one because I bet a lot of people probably look for this or have seen this. So, and again, I'm not saying this stuff is should be allowed. I'm, I'm not even saying there's an exact rule that says you can do this specifically. I'm just letting you know this is the things you're allowed to do because no one's no one cares. So instead of listing, uh, you know, high fructose corn syrup, we were able to sometimes just put agave nectar, which we know people are not only not afraid of, but they look for sometimes they think it's a good thing. Now, is that so is that now? But but then, okay, so let's just take that there. Let's say you do that. Is there anything in this world that could hold you accountable to that? Like, let's say I found out as a consumer, I did my own, I was a chemist, I did my own testing at home. And I'm like, ah, these liars, there's this in it. I mean, is there any retribution there like or no because you were allowed to do it i mean that just seems if you're not using agave nectar in it right then how are you able to say that it's agave nectar well who who would bust us i mean that's the question okay so basically it's a matter of like what we can get away with yeah here so the only times that we've ever so there were instances where we weren't trying to sneak stuff we were just we would be doing something for a while kind of like with the salmon the usda would read it many months after the fact in our log and then come to us and say hey whoa this isn't okay or whatever um all that would happen in instances like you just described where someone finds out something maybe and reports it they just come to you and say hey we need to change this and then they would guide us and say hey instead of this why don't you list this or or they might say yeah we don't care um and and i i have an email 
from the FDA saying, unless we start getting calls from customers saying your food is making them sick, you'll never hear from us. Yeah, I know. That was that was pretty frightening when I read that as well in your book. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. I mean, I still have the email just because I, I'm, I had to show it to a lot of like the publisher because I'm like, no one will believe me. So, <laughs> right. No. And, you know, and, and, and kudos to you for kind of whistleblowing even your own self here. Right. I mean, you were involved in some of these things and, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's, we can get into that later. Maybe if you know how you feel about that, obviously you're making up for any kind of miss false advertising and shady tactics you, you employed, but you know, thank God you're speaking out about it because you really were behind the scenes. And then there's like bribing health inspectors. Like that's just classic, right? That's just all across the board happening everywhere. Uh, well, I don't know what everyone else is doing, but I mean, it's, it certainly fell into my lap, um, metaphorically and literally kind of, as you read in the book. Um, yeah, I mean, that was such a, I, I didn't do that on purpose as you, as you know. Um, but what it showed me was clearly this is a systematic thing like this, (laughs) this must just go on. Uh, and by the way, it was really easy to. I mean, forget the bribe for a second. Like, it was really easy to set up the health inspections so that you had time to, because that's kind of fix how the, everything quickly. That's what you guys did, right? Like, you fix it and make it appropriate for that visit, and then that's all you care about, right? And they let you. That's how the system is designed. So it's very hard, I and mean, you have to go out of your way to get busted by the health department. Um, we, yeah, we had time. We knew they were coming. We scheduled it. So yeah, we you clean up everything. You make sure you're up to code on as much as you can, and then they check you out. And then once they leave, you're back to business. And hopefully most companies are up to code, but who's, who's to say they are. So yeah, I mean, the bribing that goes on, I can't, like, again, I can't speak to any other companies, but based on what I experienced, it's pretty safe to say it's probably a systemic thing. Well, one of the, one of the things you say here is you're like, as a food manufacturer, I'm out of control. I don't answer to anyone. I manipulate whatever I have to to sell product, but that's not the truly scary part. The, this is, I'm the one educating you on health. So now most people listening and, you know, if you have an average uh, intelligence here with looking at labels and checking things out and you're conscious that way, I know when I'm getting sold. I mean, you know, you can, you can tell when it's a BS education on health kind of thing, you know? Um, so, but get into that a little bit, expose that a little bit for everybody. Yeah. So a lot of the things, I mean, I mean, first of all, as you know, there's not really new stuff coming out about nutrition. Really. It's, I mean, the job that health professionals have nowadays is reminding people about the older common sense stuff. Right. Um, so here, I mean, I'll give you an example. When I first started, uh, once I first took on the investors and my job quickly became to become the marketer for the most part, like I was creating content that we would send out. So we called it uh, edutizing, right? It was advertising described, uh, disguised as education. And I'll never forget one of the first ones, if not the first one that I saw um, one of the guys who was teaching me how this works, I saw him putting it together. And if I remember correctly, it was like a piece talking about just the benefits of eating low calorie. And, you know, I mean, it, because depending on what you're eating, that's kind of an absurd thing to say. Uh, if you're eating chocolate bars, but you're eating less calories than, you know, salmon or broccoli, that's insane. Uh, and so I, I questioned him. I was like, Hey, you know, I don't know how scientifically sound this uh, 
this marketing piece that you're putting together really is. And, you know, he treated me like a child. He was like, oh, you're so silly. Come on, Phillips. He's like, this is, uh, this is about marketing. We're trying to sell some of our low calorie meals. Right. And that was when I first learned like, oh, okay. So the game isn't actually creating information. It's about creating advertisements that look like it so that people are kind of guided to eat whatever, whatever the hell it is that we're selling at the moment. So like a fake news article, right? Like an article on like, oh, you know, this is blah, 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 blah. And then that being really an advertisement. Right. I mean, it's, it doesn't look like an ad. You, the consumer thinks they're learning something about nutrition, like, hey, antioxidants are good for this or blueberries, which have antioxidants are good for this. No, no, no. We're sending that stuff out because we just created a protein bar that has, we put a couple blueberries in and now we can list antioxidants or heart healthy all over the label just so that people will buy more of the protein bars that are full of sugar and crap. Um, has nothing to do with actual education. But we know people look for that stuff and they think they learn something every time they see something like that. And so that kind of was what the job was, just creating creating those things. And we would send them out, not just to, I mean, we would send them out to the news. We'd send them out to medical trade journals, um, you know, newspaper, magazine articles. We would literally give them to doctors, personal trainers, dietitians, nutritionists, many of which they're looking for stuff to share with their people. And to them, they, a lot of them take it as education too. And they would turn around and share it. And I gave, I think it was in the book. I gave the example. Um, I, one of my old clients as a trainer, we, um, she was going to the doctor, a doctor that I knew that we were sending this low calorie campaign to this educational quote, educational campaign. And the doctor who took almost everything they read and then turned around and shared it with her patients, shared the information. Um, and, and I knew it, where it was coming from because we were sending it out, obviously. And that client who I'd known for years gained like, like 22, 23 pounds in a matter of weeks because she... Oh, yeah, you did put that in the book. Yeah, that one was... Oh, it was horrible to see. I mean, it, it, that one's really eye-opening to me how powerful this marketing is because... The, the doctor thought they were learning something. They teach to the patient who thinks they're learning something. And then the, the patient slash old client of mine, she stopped eating, um, you know, normal foods, like whole actual foods that come out of the ground and stuff. And because she was like, calories are all that matter now, started eating like Reese's peanut butter cups. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Horrible. Horrible. That's so horrible. Okay. So let's get into also why um – why are FDA's new food labels for 2018, why are they going to be worse for consumers than they already are? Well, first of all, they're, everyone should know they're bad anyway. There's little, little regulation going on there. So they're already very not good. Um, but the 2018 ones, just to name a couple here, I'll give you, I'll give you a couple examples why they're just going to be so much worse. So they're going to be changing the serving size rule. So serving size right the second, kind of loosely, is based on what people should be eating. Um, in 2018, they're going to be based on what people are eating. So Okay, wait. So you're meaning should be eating, and you're talking – when you say should be eating, is that synonymous with a, a calorie level? Or what are we talking about that should be eating? I mean – How is that based? Yeah. They're, what is it based on? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying I agree with their recommendations, but like their daily percentage value of – Okay. You name it, you know, calories, fat, um, vitamins, all that. 
Um, I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm just saying that's so. So right, right, but they'll come. They have like a minimum, right? Like a, probably like okay, it should be not less than this or no more than that. Is there some sort of yeah area like that? Yeah, I think they gave the. I, I think it's right on the FDA website. To be honest with you, I think what they list is. Um, Oh, don't quote me on this, but I want to say it's like eight ounces of so- like like there's a, a daily recommended value of soda that people should be having, right? Like that's insane. Okay, got it. But they list it, and I think the current one is something like eight uh, ounces of soda, <laughs> um, as if that's okay normal. And the new one, <laughs> right? As if that's even something anyone should consider, right? Like if you're not getting your eight ounces of soda, you need to think about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. But so the new one is they're changing it to be based on what people actually consume in a day. So it's going to be up to, I think, 20. And again, I, I... Oh, God. So that that's just such crap logic. Right. So we've got this obese, overeating, inflamed society. We're going to take now and base food recommendations off of the unhealthy patterns that is existing currently. That's just out of control. Exactly. And so here, to make that even worse, here's another one of the new rules. And again, I'm not... It's just right on the FDA website. You don't have to take my word for this. Uh, they're changing. So the serving sizes, they're changed now that they're going to be based on what people are doing. They're, they're also anything in between one serving and two or, or any of it, like three and four, four and five. But anything between one and two serving, for example, unless it goes above two, it's still listed as one. So if 20 ounces is the cutoff for soda, if it's 19, uh, it's still one. It's still one serving, like, mm-hmm. it, which is, what's the point of having serving sizes anymore? There's literally no point to it. I, well, I, yeah, I'm with you on that 100%. And also, yeah, as we know, the whole like, oh, just calories in, calories out. Nah, Reese's Pieces diet doesn't really, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, whatever the hell you want. It doesn't matter. Just make sure your calories, are, yeah, exactly. Don't worry about spiking your insulin with too much sugar. And, mm-hmm. No. So, yeah, so those are, and then here's one. A lot of people don't believe me. That this one is going to be problematic, but I, I bet you might think differently. They're they're going to start making companies list um, the artificial sweeteners. So right now you got to list the sweeteners, the, I mean the sugar, right? Um, although we have that we have loopholes that get us around that, by the way. But right, obviously, you already mentioned before you could say agave nectar, and it's not. There's not only loopholes there, but there's loop. There was a loophole with like st- stevia versus corn syrup. Like there's yeah, there's just BS loopholes there. Yeah. Well, and here's another thing we do, by the way. So one one tactic we've used is we'll, um, be- because we know the people that check for the sugar and all that stuff. Like we'll 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 divide it up instead of just using pure sugar to sweeten something. The the food industry often will use. You, you see it every, almost any label you read of a processed food will have like a dozen, a half a dozen to a dozen different types of sugars. Right. Your high fructose corn syrups and your dextrose and your you know sucralose sucrose and all this. Uh, because by doing that, number one, now you're not using, there's not one large amount of any one type of sugar. So it doesn't need to be listed at the top of the ingredients list. And we know that people stop reading after the third or fifth ingredient anyway. So they don't see sugar at the top, even though it's sprinkled all throughout, they don't see the top. So maybe it's okay. Plus by dividing it up like that, we don't have to list it, list it in the nutrition fat, only about half of it. In the nutrition facts, uh, grams of sugar and calories. So clarify what you mean about dividing it up. You mean you sprinkle a little bit here on the salmon, you sprinkle a little bit like what would we no, no. mean by that? Well, like all in the same food, like let's just, uh, I use a protein bar as an example, right? So all in the same food, but instead of just, it'd be so much easier maybe to sweeten it with just 
cane sugar or just fructose or whatever. But we'll divide it up. We chop it up and use like six different kinds, the maltodextrin, the dextrin, and all these, you know, saturates, high fructose corn syrup, um, cane sugar, and, you know, all that. So that it's it, that way we don't – because we're not using just one. If it were just sugar, the same amount, we'd have to list it as the first ingredient. And people, but there's a loophole because you're using multiple varieties of sweeteners, right? That aren't technically you don't have to list any. Well, it's not that we don't have to list them; it's that we're because the ingredients list, you know, that's they're listed in the order of prominence, right? So the, the right, exactly. So if sugar's the first ingredient. Everyone knows that that thing's like majority sugar. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So by the, or salt, whatever it is, yeah. Yeah. So by chopping it up and using instead of using a big amount of one type of sugar, we're using tiny amounts of like a dozen different types, it doesn't need to go anywhere near the top of the list. So people think, oh, there's not that much sugar in it because it's not. Oh, right. Like, oh, I see there's just probably a little bit of it because it's at the end and that's where exactly. the non-important, uh-huh. Okay, I see where you're going. Exactly. Yes. So that's kind of how that works. That's just one more loophole that we can use to, you know, hide the sugar and, and so that people don't think it's so bad. Um, but anyway, that was a little tangential. But uh, you, we were, I was telling you about the new rule for the FDA 2018 food labels. Now you're going to have to also list the fake ones and the artificial sweeteners, which we used to be able to get away with not. And the reason, I mean, I could tell you numerous reasons from the food industry side, but one reason I think this is going to be more problematic, just like telling people that, Hey, everyone's eating, everyone's drinking 20 ounces of soda. So that's the new norm. As soon as we start putting numbers on how much fake sweets or anything for that matter is acceptable, people will start, you know, eating more of them just because if you see, oh, well, this one over here has 20 grams of high fructose corn syrup and this one has 10, well, 10 is better than 20. So I'll eat the one with 10. Um, when obviously they probably should be trying not to eat any at all. But Well, hold on a second, because on the surface, it sounds like what you're saying with the new food label of having to list all of the sweeteners would be a positive thing for consumers. So why isn't that? If they're not labeling it now, but they're going to label it, they're being forced to label it, isn't that giving us more information that seems positive? So why is it a negative? Well, it gives you more information, but what it does is it normalizes the behavior. So I see what you're saying. It's more of an overall, like socially construct, like just in the ether kind of thing you're talking about. Yeah. So towards the end of the book, I give an example. I think it was towards the end uh, of the book. I give an example about one of the tactics the food industry uses to normalize um, highly processed foods that no one should probably ever eat. And what, what, what the food industry does, what we did was we'll follow, you know, fitness influencers. Um, I think I use the example of the food babe. Yep, and, and a couple of others, Beachbody. There's a bunch of other different sort of like big corporations you talked about in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we'll follow what they're saying, um, what what they're either telling people to like to avoid or to go towards. And for one example, when the food babe, she did this one, th- and you know, I think she's she's not in on this. Like, I think she's really trying to help people. But the food industry are the ones that milk this. So when she says something like, "Hey, uh, lifesavers have GMOs in them." And this other organic candy over here doesn't have GMOs, so that's the better one. We take that and we we win. The food industry wins because all that does is justify eating a type of candy to people. Now, is you know what I mean? Like maybe is it better because it has GMOs? I don't know. But it's like a it's a, like a mind Jedi trick. It just happens, right? It just it's, right. it's in the ether. It gets it soaps in your subconscious, and you go, "Oh, organic candies." Well, now I can go buy a thing of Lifesavers and enjoy that versus never even considering buying the Lifesavers to 
like the non the crappy ones. You know what I mean? Then you're now all of a sudden going to consider <laughs> candy. Exactly. Like yes, these aren't the lifesavers you want. Yeah, exactly. I mean that's that is what it is. I mean, it's teaching people you would have never thought to eat that before. The gluten free, we talked about the gluten free scam. You wouldn't ever think to eat things like cookies or chips or pizza from Pizza Hut while when trying to lose weight and be healthy. But when you associate gluten uh, avoiding gluten with being healthy, it, all of a sudden this pizza's on the table. It's an option now. Right. Now all of a sudden it's been like, oh, well, I'll just have the quote healthier version, which is the gluten free, not so gluten free version. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but that you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, so when I say they're going to put those on the label, it, it's, it, it, do, it does exactly that. Right. It just teaches people, hey, now there's an acceptable amount of crap you can eat. Well, so I want to get into one other thing too, because this one company really ticks me off. And obviously my viewpoints are not that of anyone at Primal Blueprint here on this one, but uh, Monsanto, because that whole discussion of what happened with the Obama administration and what got in there, I want you to talk about, because Monsanto is like ruining Hawaii right now. <laughs> um, you know, I'm sure you're aware of everything that's going on there. It's really brutal. They're ruining land. People are getting sick. And that's another like shady uh, thing that they do where like, like in California, there's a law and there's a government agency to track. Like you have to tell – if you're a company that's spraying pesticides, you have to say, okay, this is when we're spraying. This is how much we're spraying. Like you have to be transparent about that and there is a government agency to track it. Not so in other areas. And so in Hawaii and other places like Monsanto is could just be spraying all day, every day, constantly around homes, schools, and everything. And there's nothing to be held accountable for and there's not even any information when Hawaii challenged it and tried to fight for like – hey, go ahead and spray. Just, we need to know though. We need to know what's happening and when it's happening and how much, and they don't even have to do that. So that's one thing like Monsanto GMO nightmare. If you want to give our audience maybe a overview of Monsanto and then get into the FDA, you know, how that shady thing happened, I'd, I'd love to expose that whole operation. Sure. I mean, I talk a little bit about the book. I don't go into a ton of detail, partly because I've never worked for Monsanto, but I'm in the industry, and so I'm privy to a lot of these things that go on. I mean, we were very much in it. But, um, yeah, so the way they got into – they do, well, Monsanto does tons of things, and they're pretty much – them and, and Cargill and a few others pretty much run the entire industry for the most part. Um, they don't have to follow – the reason they can get away with a lot of this stuff – and I really – I hate to sound like a conspiracy theorist. I'm not. This is – and. Again, these are things you can go look up. They're all yeah, you can find everything you send in your book. You can find publicly. Absolutely, this is not sneaky stuff that I saw behind curtains. Like this is all, yeah. This is not fake news conspiracy that we all saw during the past couple of years. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. None of those. Uh, very much public information. All this is so. Yeah, they um, Monsanto essentially bought their way into the Obama administration. And this isn't a political statement. They would have bought their way into any administration. They do. Right. This is not even anti-Obama talk. It's no. not anti-Obama talk this at all. This has something to do with how politics work. It, exactly. And this is just how it went down. So they bought them. Uh, they bought their way into the Obama administration. They didn't even do it directly. Um, they used, uh, they used, let's see, I want to, don't quote me on it. It's in the book, but they use, I think, Goldman Sachs, um, some of the big guys, I think Bill Gates was one of their biggest um, commodities traders for Monsanto products. Again, that's not really bashing Bill Gates. So this is part of the system. Uh, but this is how it works. And so they use these people like Goldman Sachs, for example, trades Monsanto's products on the stock market. OK, they're the ones who. Right. The cor especially corn. 
Big time. Right. They, they, yeah, the corn, tomatoes, all their commodities. So Goldman Sachs is the ones who sets those prices and then sells it and so forth. And so Goldman Sachs gave a lot of money to the Obama administration. Uh, and, you know, no one knows how these conversations literally went down. But when he got into office, it was really ironic that the former vice president of Monsanto became the uh, deputy commissioner of the FDA. That's that's pretty interesting. Bingo. You like that's very interesting. Right. Like how how else did he choose that guy to run the FDA all of a sudden? Uh, and he c- chose a couple others from Monsanto to run the USDA at the same time. So, and after right after that, by the way, also really really coincidental if this isn't all directly linked. But Monsanto at that time was trying to pass their GMO labeling act, which. Uh, they were trying to say, like, even if you find GMOs in a food that's not labeled otherwise, you can't do anything about it, the government. Right. And didn't, I mean, I think Gwyneth Paltrow, right? She was famous for going and trying to fight for like, hey, you're going to do GMOs, fine. Let us know when they're in our food, jerks. And they were like, sorry, we're not going to let you know. That was the outcome, wasn't it? Yeah. But yeah. Ironically, right. When you think about that, why would, like, why would, like, why couldn't that, Pat, that seems so obvious of a thing to just, yeah, just let us know so that we can make our own informed decisions about whether we want to buy GMO products or not. Right. But they're, they're not even allowing that. So now you don't know unless you really do your research. Yeah, you don't know. And, and the reason that got passed was because the very people running the FDA and USDA who made that decision just recently worked for Monsanto and then went back to working Monsanto after. Isn't that, that's telling. Exactly. The guy, I think his name's. Mike. I bet they got a. I bet they got like a huge salary increase and bonus when they popped back in after the administration. They were probably just like greeted with cheers at the Monsanto headquarters, right? Yeah. Oh gosh, you can imagine it wasn't just a little tiny party or anything. I mean, you know, they got some money, I'm sure. And the guy, I think Michael Taylor, who was the one, um, that I, I want to say like seven, eight, maybe nine times, that guy has gone back and forth. From working with Monsanto to the FDA, I mean, it's in, it's insane. So it's basically just like a representative of Monsanto just infiltrating every decision going on with regards to these kind of things. Absolutely, they just keep funding. They give money, and as a you know, because out of the kindness of their heart, of course. And as soon as they're the person they were paying, and oftentimes they'll pay both sides. So it doesn't matter who you vote for. It doesn't matter who wins. Sure, uh, but whoever gets in now kind of, so to speak, owes them and they keep appointing. They continue, they've done it like eight times. They keep making Monsanto commissioner of the FDA and USDA. So they're just, so basically the only place of which they are recruiting people for these positions from is Monsanto. Like no one else has another shot at these positions at this point. I, not the little guys, that's for sure. I mean, and at that level, a lot of them work together, right? So you don't need to appoint someone from Goldman Sachs to the FDA commissioner because they're making money when Monsanto makes money, for example. So all you have to do is pick one that's not obvious. It's easier to point Monsanto people um, to public positions when they're not the ones whose name is on the donor list, right? Goldman Sachs is on the donor list. Well, that's weird. Right. Weird that, you know, Monsanto, why would you appoint them? So... That makes total sense. So let's get, I mean, look, I think most women listening right now are going to understand this, and this might be sort of an obvious statement, um, but you do know a few of these things that are behind it, you know, with just regards to the fact that 90 plus percent of women are the ones that 
fall prey to dieting, diet, you know, all this stuff. It's been obviously conditioned. Everyone out there knows it. No one's like, what? This is happening? I mean, I think we're pretty, it's in our face. If you're a woman, you, you, you know damn well this is happening. Um, but give us a, a, a few points around that because you talk about that in your, in your book a lot. Yeah. So, and again, I, I hope none of the listeners want to murder me for this, although maybe I deserve it for participating. But <laughs> I, we we literally preyed on just that. I mean, the obvious one that I think isn't a surprise to anyone is, of course, playing on the insecurities, right? Um, sure, right? Like your thigh gap's not big enough. You're not this. You're all the like BS stuff out there with like how a woman should look, et cetera. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The thing where you hold your arm out and you shake it to see the underneath. Yeah, the whole thing. Um, so we absolutely play on that part, but then we also play on, and of course we play on the, you want guys to notice you or women, whatever, and, and, or you want other women to be jealous of you. Um, but, but the last one was really juicy cause that yeah, was a sneaker, right? The new one is the sneaky one. I mean, this is only, this hasn't been as mainstream and popular for very long, but yeah, what we do now is we'll even prey on feminism, right? So, and, and I think, uh, I think. Companies like um, um, Weight Watchers do this really well, and maybe Jenny Craig, but talking, you know, hey, you're a powerful woman, and you don't have to prove anything to anyone, and you can take the power back and, and do your thing today, you know, like by ordering our food. Right. So it's it's saying like, hey, you're strong, take control. It's 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 already like feeding me empowerment. Right. And we're, we're to to take a step towards something that's not going to work. Like it's not empowering you towards a a great healthy grass-fed, paleo-primal, whatever, non-crappy sugar lifestyle, but it's preying on the nutrisystems and all the junky food and the chemicals and all that. Right. Like that would be the better message, right? If you want to put a real message out there, say, hey, you take control. You're a powerful woman. Um, you know, go eat organic, you know, things that come out of the ground. Uh, but, <laughs> but no, what they're doing and these companies, I mean, again, like Heinz owns Weight Watchers last time I checked. So it's just Heinz finding a way to get women in this instance to buy more of their crappy products. I mean, so, right, so they're the company that's providing the food for Weight Watchers, at least as far as you checked last is what you're saying. Yeah. All the big ones, all the big like weight loss, health food, health quote, health food companies are owned by one of the big major food companies. So right. and all, that's good to know. But also too, you mentioned, you know, it became quickly evident to you that Weight Watchers wasn't actually about the point system or any of the other bullshit that the staff was pushing. Its foundation was the concept of support. And also they own like Curves gyms, right? So it goes from the level of food manufacturer down to even like the gyms, right? So it's like oh. almost a built-in multi-level marketing scheme for us. Oh, it was crazy because yeah, like in the book and I, I, you know, I walked through, like I I sent spies in, I think I only listed the one, but I sent numerous spies constantly into Weight Watchers because I was, they were competition at the time. So I was trying to learn their secrets and these people would come back out with all kinds of notes and audio recordings for me. And I was like, holy shit, this is, I mean, they are super duper sneaky about selling this stuff, not only are they, yeah, they're, they're milking the support thing, right? Again, playing to the women's emotions to keep them in the sales loop and getting them to buy into whatever those people were saying, the coaching or the Weight Watchers groups, right? The communal, right? The, yep, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing there. That's why the first, uh, first session is always free, right? Cause once you get in there and you get hooked on that emotional experience, 
it, you, yeah, I got to have this again, whatever it costs. Yeah, you've met a set of new potential friends that are struggling with the same thing you are. And maybe you are already like obese, lonely at home and can't deal with your own body. And then you get into a group and there's friends. So then that's going to absolutely. I mean, that makes just total sense. Yeah. And but but here are a target, uh, just a group of sitting ducks now that are paying to be here that you can slam with your advertising and yours only. They would then teach them, of course, the the point thing, which is similar to, to a calorie thing. Like, oh, you don't need to eat this actual food over here. Like our processed food in these boxes here are lower points than that real food. So eat this or. Yeah, I feel like I'm sure you've been, maybe not because you're in the health industry and obviously we probably hang out with a lot of people that, you know, are kind of up on this stuff. But I've been in several situations where someone, you'll overhear someone saying like, Oh, okay. Well, that's like two points. Like I hear them saying that about the food and I just want to oh, like scream. I know. I know. And it's, it's so funny because we like when trying to spread the right message, the the truth. Now we have to work so hard to combat that nonsense. I mean, that has become more a part of our language than just like, Hey man, eat food. Like, <laughs> Like, right. Oh, you know, and actually speaking of paleo primal, you know, one of the food label things you mentioned was the fact that the guy was like, uh, this can't say paleo on it. So now it's paleo friendly or paleo approved right now. And, and I think everyone in the industry will know that because every time we do see it, there is, that's what it says. It doesn't say paleo or primal. It just says paleo approved, paleo friendly, right? Yeah. It's funny because they, uh, and again, this was from the USDA. Uh, they have, I don't even know if these are rules, to be honest. It's hard to tell if uh, if these are like written rules somewhere or if just the agents you happen to have that week is, has a weird thing about certain words. I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't have that answer. I've never been able to find it out, but either way, yeah, they would come up to us and say things like, Hey, you know, you can't say paleo. We can't, there's no way to regulate that. That's not a technically, there's no definition for that according to them, but just slap paleo friendly on there. And you can put that on anything you want. Cause there's no way to regulate it. Uh, so another example, this, this one isn't as uh, direct, but I think I listed in the book. The first time he ever came, the, the USDA came up and we had this buffalo style chicken, like, you know. Oh, right. That's a good one. Yeah. Like buffalo hot sauce. Right. Um, like like buffalo wings. And uh, he came up and said, mm, you can't you can't call this buffalo chicken because uh, it's not coming out of Buffalo, New York. And right. So it's Buffalo style now. Right. You slap Buffalo style on there. You just tack on these little extra words like friendly or style or whatever. And then they don't they can't regulate them anymore. So you can um, and you see it with all the stuff. Um, gluten. I think they have all different ways of saying um, either gluten friendly or gluten. Um, I'm drawing a blank right this second, but there are numerous ways of listing it without literally claiming there's no gluten in it. And that's one of the other ones. Right. So it can seem like a gluten-free food, but it's really not because of how they're what they're able to get away with. Right. So many vague claims. I mean, you could say a good source of or a healthy source of. What the hell does that mean? I mean, like. Well, well I mean, look, you look at a box of cereals like vitamins, minerals, blah, 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 and, you know, they could just put a little bit of something in there. And then that's, then they get to the claim that it's – and then you see vitamins, you see minerals, and you go, oh, that's healthy, right? Because, again – People who are just flying by the seat of their pants aren't really looking into this. Obviously, that's not probably a lot of our listeners, but still, it's it's real deceivery and trickery, and it just kind of floats into our subconscious, right? And you go, oh, this is probably the healthier cereal. They're saying vitamins on it versus this one, as you both we both know, neither are good. But right, right. Well, you and, and your listeners probably, you know, they may know this, but like, or may may not know uh, 
but I, I tell or I ask people a lot of times, like, do you even know what an antioxidant is? A lot of people don't know. Your listeners might, but a lot of people are like, no. And I'll say, well, then why the hell are you searching for foods that have a lot of them? You don't even know what it is, and you're tricked into eating a, like a sugary protein cookie or something that claims it has them. Like, wh- why? Uh, well, here's a great example. You know, when the whole discovery several years ago of like, oh, resveratrol, which is in wine and grapes, is so healthy for you and blah, blah, blah. So then everyone, especially I know, and people out there are probably guilty of it, the regular wine drinkers are like, oh, great, excuse to drink, right? It just sounded like an excuse to consume alcohol. But when you really look at it, you'd have to consume so much alcohol to get the benefits. And then that does not weigh the sugar and the you know, and the dyes and all of the other stuff that's in the crappy wine you're drinking. So again, it's just, you know, it's almost like we sometimes want a reason to continue the vice. So now that it's a gluten-free cookie, it's better, right? And at the end of the day, no, you got to check yourself. Cause I mean, one of the things is right. Like, okay, so knowing all this, how do we get around it? Well, I can answer that myself and you would probably give the same answer. Eat stuff that comes out of the ground, you know where it's from and you cook yourself and minimal labeling and et cetera, et cetera. Let's not eat out of barcode packages. Clearly that's an answer. What else would you have to add on top of that? So how knowing all of this, then what do we do? Yeah. So, okay. Well, you, you nailed a lot of it right there. I mean, first of all, definitely people need to learn to, it's easy to say, stop buying into the fads or the trends, but I think it's more helpful to point out, like, just understand that this is coming from us. I don't know how many people know, but uh, I think I mentioned in the book, the Mars corporation that owns like, you know, Mars bars, Milky Way, Snickers, M&Ms, all that. They're the ones that funded the research that why people think chocolate is healthy today. They paid scientists to go out and, and dissect the coca leaf and say, this has vitamins, minerals, anti. This is healthy for you, chocolate. Same with the Milk Council, the Dairy Council, right? Right. They are the ones that do all the studies, and then it's milk does body good and got milk, and and then there you go. And it's really like if you look behind all the studies they're doing, they're one sided and paid for by them. Right. Makes sense. Right. If an enterprise, they're trying to make money. It's smart. That makes sense. Exactly the strategy you adopt. Uh, absolutely. So that's kind of hey, look. If there someday there's going to be an enterprising cocaine dealer who's going to pay scientists say, hey, hey, go go search the. Uh, cocaine leaf and tell me that it has vitamins and antioxidants, which it of course does. So I can tell people to do more cocaine. Uh, but anyway, the point hey, is, Hey, I hope that happens. Right? No, I mean, Hey, <laughs> I'm not saying they're wrong. Do more coke people. You- hey, let's put cocaine back in the food. Right. Um, <laughs> so, you know, oh my God. it was probably better in Coca-Cola than all the sugar is honestly, but, um, right. Right. Cause they used to do that with supposedly do that back in the day. Yeah. But, but the point being, you know, Understand where all that marketing is coming from. Uh, all the all the new trends and fads and educational material out there, that's coming from the food industry. 90% of the time, maybe more. It's coming from us. So stop taking that stuff seriously. Um, the second thing... It's the same with like news, right? You know, I mean, I had someone, knew someone the other day who claimed, threw out a claim and it sounded like such a crazy conspiracy theory. And then I found out later that day, like the writer of that fake news article came out and goes, hi, um, I actually wrote that fake news article. I was paid $8,000 to do it. Uh, da, 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 like, you know, and, and here it was, someone just got this off Facebook and all of a sudden they believe that it's true. It's like, you know, before you believe something, right, you know, let's just look into it. And that goes with not doing what your friends are doing, not just taking their word for it, you know, because it may not be right for you. Um, before I get into my last main question with you, I guess I um, one of the things I do want to share with the audience and, and that you do write in your book, because even though we're talking about the subject of food labeling and the shady, shoddy practices of the industry, 
I do just want to mention, you have uh, helped get people off of insulin. You have, you know, you have really helped a lot of people improve their health, uh, get rid of insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes. I mean, you know, you're someone that's very knowledgeable in this arena. Um, it's not like you were just in the food industry without real personal experience and knowledge in it. And you were, you know what I mean? So I just wanted to point that out to everyone that, you you know, you are familiar with all of these things. I guess my, my last and final kind of question would be, yikes, how are you doing, what was the decision to come out with this? Because, I mean, I can only imagine, here you are, pretty much doing things you're feeling on a gut level might be unethical or discover later you're not feeling that they're right. And that's a tough thing to go through, not only as a person, but then to go around and go, all right, I'm going to make up for it. I should expose this stuff because it's not right. You know, there's a fine line, right? Because, you know, you were a part of it. So can you talk to us about that experience? Yeah, I mean... Because I got into it organically, like you said, I mean, I was I was just a I was a personal trainer, nutritionist, working with a lot of people, saw a lot of success, help people get out reverse type two diabetes and lower blood pressure and the whole thing. We had a guy in the book who lost 140 pounds. It was a great one of my favorite success stories. Uh, my mother lost 50 pounds. Um, but once we were do, once we were into this, now there was a, there was a period of time where I just on a day to day basis I wasn't noticing what I was doing, just as anyone does, you don't notice the bigger impact your work has on the daily world necessarily every day. Um, and, and so that's kind of why I lasted so long in it. But once, um, I tried to rebuild it and I tried to start a set another food company and, and build it back up and do it the right way. Um, and still found out I had to play these little games and do these little label tricks and all this. I started to actually run into and talk to the people that I knew my, my old clients who, gained the way back or got back into having insulin problems or my mother or gaining weight back or any of these things. And once I started seeing the people again, that, that my, what we were doing, how it was impacting them. I mean, you know, it's easy to get away with this stuff or to, or to talk yourself into things or to, I guess, hide it from yourself if you don't see the faces. But once, you know, once I saw the people and how my work was affecting them, I mean, how could I keep going? I, I couldn't, I didn't want to be in the business anymore. It disgusted me um, once I realized what I was doing. And so I just wanted people, and I, th- I realized people didn't know just how deep it goes, how sneaky the food industry is at getting people to eat things they shouldn't be eating. And so that's that was the motivation behind the book. Like people had to know, even if at the risk of making me look really bad. And by the way, there's tons of embarrassing stuff about me, personal embarrassing stuff in that book. Um, for sure. I mean, I'm going to say like, you were pretty, you know, you, you wore it on your sleeve. You're pretty transparent about pretty much everything. And you know what? I, I think that that also will, you know, it, it brings truth to what you're saying in a lot of ways because you're not holding back and you're being really honest, even when it's embarrassing and, and doesn't make you look good. Right. And they, the, the public, not a lot of people do that if they want to try to sell or, you know what I mean? And you're, you're really transparent. Right. Yeah. Well, originally it was an expose and the publisher talked me into, they're like, no, just tell us every, it's, a, it's an amusing story. Just tell us it all. And I, I was, I was hesitant at first to tell a lot of that personal stuff, relationships and alcohol and all these other things that come into there. But, uh, anyway, yeah, just, yeah, you, you, I mean, I mean, we'll just share it down. It's like, you had a scenario where you're kind of like sleeping with someone and then they were had like, I'll sell more if you uh, come by tomorrow night. And you're like, you were just kind of like, really, uh, I guess we could say hoeing yourself out on a lot of levels, maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah. But you're very honest very- about it. And, you know, you're just kind of kind of clean, clean with all of it. And you were in your 20s. I mean, for Christ's sakes, everybody's making, you know, really interesting mistakes then. Absolutely. Hey, I'd be lying if I said I didn't enjoy some of it. Uh, 
<laughs> right. Some of it had some benefits. Yeah. Some of it did, but yeah, but a ton of embarrassing stuff in there. I didn't care. I was like, at the, at the risk of looking bad and being embarrassed publicly, um, just let's get the message out. Just people need to know that's that's the most important thing. That's really all I care about. People can laugh at me all they want. Check my bank account. Check my whatever. I, I don't care. <laughs> right. So, so okay, bigfatfoodfraud.com. Actually, people can read the first two chapters on that website. So before you even buy it, if you're interested, go to bigfatfoodfraud.com. You can read the first two chapters and, and get a little bit of bite of that. What else are you doing? I mean, other than the book and promoting the book and sending out this message, what else is your mission in life right now? What do, you, do you still have a food company? Or are you like, what, what do you got going on? Nope. I sold and got out of the food business. Uh, although ironically, I have people approaching me a lot now asking me to get into a food business with them. I'm like, did you read the book? Uh, that's, <laughs> that's an interesting pitch, but I mean, they're trying to do it the right way, of course. But anyway, um, the main thing I do right now is, um, going around, spreading the word about the book. And then I do, um, I'll, I'll go to places and talk about the food industry and how to fix it. So I'm giving, giving talks. That's pretty right now. That's all I'm doing. That's great. Well, I mean, it's really, and it actually kind of goes hand in hand with another book we published called death by food pyramid, which exposes all of the shoddy science and practices behind that whole thing, which is of course, you know, kind of compliments what you then are saying on the other side, which is the nitty gritty aspect of then the delegation of such a food pyramid. Um, what would you, what kind of, what would you like to leave our audience with? I mean, great book, a lot of juicy information, even on this podcast, but anything you'd like to leave our audience with? Yeah, sure. Um, and by the way, every time I see like some ridiculous story come out now or something, if it catches my attention or someone brings it to my attention, if you want to see me point that out and make fun of it, I'm doing so on Facebook and Twitter. How can we find you on there, by the way? What's your handle on all, all those social media sites? Yeah, it's just uh, Jeff, on Facebook, Jeff Scott Phillips, and on Twitter, it's at Jeff Scott Phillips. And Scott has one T and Phillips has one L. I'm very weird. Um, no, I noticed that in both of them. I'm like, that's okay. Going, going a different route. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and I'm a baby on Twitter. So if you're going to go somewhere, please follow me there. But that's where you can find me exposing this stuff. And um, the most important thing um, I, I think I'd love people to know is stop paying. I think people need to realize that food labels aren't there to, to help educate them. They're there to help the food industry market to them. So stop reading them. Stop putting any attention into them, whatever. Because when you stop looking at the little details on a nutrition label, which, by the way, we're making them up, when you stop looking at those, you can actually then kind of hold it at arm's length and see the food for what it is. And when you do that, you'll realize, hey, am I eating something, this processed, nonsense, sugary thing I would never think to eat, or am I eating real food? So uh, if people would take that away and start acting on that, I'll be able to go to sleep much better at night. <laughs> well, thank you so much for, for joining us and exposing this with your book, BigFatFoodFraud.com. Um, again, thanks so much for joining us, and we look forward to having you back. Maybe expose some more stuff over the years as we go by. There's not going to be any shortage of corruption, so I'll be glad to come back. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right. Have a great day. Hi, folks. Mark Sisson here. And I'd like to tell you about my biggest undertaking yet, the Primal Health Coach Program. My mission is to create a global network of primal health coaches to help transform the health and consciousness of our communities into ones of optimal wellness and happiness. Becoming a primal health coach empowers you to take your primal passions to the next level and embark on a career you love, inspiring others to live lives of vitality and lasting wellness. If you dream of a career in health coaching but have been held back by worries such as the investment of time and money, then I encourage you to hesitate no longer. Health coaching is the fastest growing specialty in all of coaching.
And we've created an online education program that allows you to learn from the comfort of your own home and at your own pace. We also have payment plans available, so you can start immediately for just a dollar down. The world needs primal health coaches to provide a blend of ancestral wellness solutions to the modern health crisis. The world needs you. Are you ready to become one of the world's most trusted, experienced, and knowledgeable health coaches? To learn more about this online certification program and to take the first step toward a career you love, visit PrimalHealthCoach.com and subscribe.